Well, if I had rhythm, I'd dance, but I don't, so I won't. Hey, John 10, 10, this series, In Search of Happiness, it's pretty straightforward. I want to teach you what the Bible has to say about how to live a happy life. As we talked last week, it's one of the most sought-after subjects. You'll find scores and scores and scores of books being written about it. Everybody's looking for a happy life, a life that's filled with joy, a life there's, where there's a sense of purpose and peace and fulfillment. Well, the Bible's got a lot to say. John 10, if you want to turn there, I want to mention this before I, I, I open my, begin my message. This weekend, we're having a, a, a it's called Worldview Weekend. Uh, I felt the Lord wanted us to do this, particularly for teenagers, junior high, high school, college age, and really any of us that are trying to make sense of the Christian faith in a secular world. Uh, there was a book that was given to a, a freshman students at uh, Texas A&M University last year uh, by Carl Sagan, The Demon Haunted World, which is simply the faith of a humanist. It is presumably through faith and reason to explain why we don't need God in the world. And this uh, uh, weekend, this Worldview Weekend, will help equip you, particularly your children, to understand that the Christian faith is a rational faith, that the Christian faith is historically validated and verifiable, but to help them because so many kids turn away from Christ when they enter into the public school arena, particularly at the university level. And I, I want to highly encourage you to come to that and bring your kids or send them, or if you're just curious yourself as a believer, to, to come along for that. But this series, Jesus said in John 10, 10 about happiness, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. One translation says, a rich and satisfying life. Clearly, as we read the pages of the Bible, we understand that Christ came to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Our sins separated us from God. Jesus was a bridge to restore relationship with God through his death on the cross. But he also came that you and I just might be happy, that we might have an enjoyable life. Uh, this word happy, it doesn't mean that you don't have problems. But as we saw last week, that true happiness is found foundationally in a vital relationship with God. And there's an interesting definition. This used to be connected before America became increasingly secular. For example, you look in today's dictionaries about the word happiness, and you'll find it means to be cheerful, merry, enjoying life and pleasure. But the original Webster's Dictionary, written in 1828, brought God and personal enjoyment together. Here's how Webster defined it. It's happiness, and a little archaic, but it says, happiness is the pleasurable sensation that we de derive when we gratify our essential appetites that render a person happy. But then he adds this, he can only be esteemed really and permanently happy who enjoys peace of mind in the favor of God. So the dictionary, the standard of the English language in his day, even added a Bible verse, Psalm 144, happy is the people whose God is Jehovah or whose God is the Lord. So that was the foundation of the series. Today I want to talk about being happy with who we are. Next week I will talk about how to have a happy home life, how to have a happy home. But this morning, how to be happy who we are. Psychologists call this self-esteem, self-worth, our sense of self. I'm going to call it being happy with the man in the mirror. The man in the mirror I'm using generically. It was a Michael Jackson song a number of years ago. It's generic for all people. But I would suggest to you, if you and I were to kind of 
get honest and talk about what some of our greatest problems and struggles in life are, one of the common things that would draw us together is we're just not happy who we are. We don't we like ourselves. We wish we were someone else. We're trying to be something else to find happiness. Let me show you a little video of a young girl that was very honest about her search for happiness, and then we'll look at three spiritual truths I think will help you. I can't tell you how good it feels to finally be free to eat without guilt, to like the girl I see in the mirror, to forget to weigh myself because it just doesn't matter so much what I weigh, to really, truly believe that I am loved just as I am. For nine years of my life, I struggled with an eating disorder. I felt ugly 90% of the time. Even when I struggled to find clothing that was small enough, I still wanted to lose more weight. Even when guys asked me out every single day, like I dreamed of, I never felt beautiful or happy. And yet I still believed my eating disorder would eventually make me happy, that it would make me beautiful, that it would make me good enough. And there you have it, the real issue deep down, I never felt like I was good enough. Since I was a little girl, I've wanted to be perfect. I've wanted to make everybody else happy, to be nice enough and smart enough and a good enough Christian and yes, pretty enough too. So when I got into a bad relationship in college, when my boyfriend told me I wasn't as pretty as his ex-girlfriends, I believed him. It was confirming the lie I had believed my whole life, that I wasn't good enough. I realized that I'll never be perfect. I'll never have it all together, but I don't have to because I'm already fully known and fully loved just as I am. Well, she's a Christian, but she shared her struggles of trying to like this girl in the mirror. Uh, let me say this, first of all, girls, if you're ever dating anyone and they compare you to past girlfriends and, and say you're not pretty, I hope you're drinking a really cold drink. I hope it's a supersize. I would start at his head and just go down and I would walk away. I would find one that's worth you. But I'm not happy with who I am. I don't like who I am, no matter how much weight I lose, no matter how I do my hair, you know, all these things. Well, this is what we're talking about, the man in the mirror today, and I want to help you because the Bible offers some spiritual truths that are foundational for accepting who God created us to be and liking ourselves. Uh, let me give you three things. We'll go to Psalm 139, but the first one is the starting place. Happy people realize God created them and didn't make a mistake. I'll say it this way in a spiritual truth from the Bible. The starting point for feeling good about myself is realizing God created me and he did not make a mistake. So the question I want to ask you this, this morning, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see blemishes, defects, someone that's too short, too tall, Adam's apple too big, fingers are too long, too little, uh, fingernails are too thick, too long, too short, whatever the case may be? Or do you see someone created by God with a purpose in life. The psalmist says this about your creation and mine. The scripture says, God, you made me. And notice what it says, you made. By inference, you made all the delicate uh, inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Notice what it says, your workmanship is... Say it again. You made me. Your workmanship is marvelous, but notice the next phrase, how well I know it. 
And I suggest to you that if we struggle with self-esteem, with our value, our worth as a human being, unhappy people don't know it. Unhappy people look at what's wrong, what's missing, what we wish were there, and that is the source of our happiness, and unconsciously or consciously, we're trying to make ourselves that way. The New Testament tells us in Galatians 1, God had special plans for me. God set me apart for his work even before I was born. And this, my friend, applies to you if, you're, if you're, your, 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 your birth was planned and timed by your parents or if you were the product of a teenage birth that was unwanted or if even your mother was raped and you were entered into the world. Uh, how many know God can take the bad things of life, God can take the troubling times, and God can still turn them into good? You and I are not a mistake. Uh, God had a direct hand in creating us. If you look at your hands, what you couldn't tell and see is that your fingerprints are different from 7.6 billion people on the planet today. And all of us are similar, 99% similar, but yet the distinctiveness that gives us our uniqueness. God didn't put us through a factory like Cooper making a run of 1,000 or 10,000 tires that they want to all be the same with the same specs. God made you and I unique. And my friends, you and I must ask ourselves the question, did God make a mistake when he made me? Acts 17 adds something to this about God inserting us in history at a moment of time. Acts 17, 26, from one man, Adam, God made all the nations, nations are groups of people, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Notice, God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. What does that mean? That God made both for nations, people collectively, and for individuals to be born at a certain time, to live in a certain time. I entered this world as a white man in 1957. I looked at little Gabe on the front row. He entered the world four or five years ago. And God inserted him and God inserted me in time and it was with a purpose, friend. Uh, the world, this is the starting place for healthy self-esteem, being happy with who I am, realizing God created me the way that I am and he did not make a mistake. Secular culture teaches us almost from, from, from elementary age now that we're the product of meaningless evolution, that there was no intelligent designer behind us. My life is an accident, or worse, my life is a huge mistake. Marketing people cause us to constantly compare ourselves to other people, and we're always coming up short. And somehow unconsciously, we're trying to change who we are to be happy rather than accept ourselves, come on, to the person that God created us to be. I suggest to you this in the strongest terms. If we don't accept who God made us to be, we're constantly striving for happiness. I could share a picture of what was at one time an entertainer I enjoyed, Michael Jackson, one of the famous, the kings of pop. He was born, at, when, I was, when I was young, he was a part of the Jackson Five. He was a young boy. He came up, he, had, he was like Elvis Presley. He captured the heart of the world in his hands. But as he grew, I read an article about Michael this week. Of course, he died from a heart attack several years ago, heart problems. I read that, a, that a, a, a doctor that worked closely with his plastic surgeon said Michael had 10 to 12 plastic surgeries in two years. When they died, they found in his home cases of cream to whiten your skin. I don't know him personally, but I can only look at the pictures of his life and wonder, was he searching for happiness? And was he searching in the wrong places? Another example, the modern transgender movement. 
I suggest to you is a search for happiness built on a mistaken belief that we can self-determine our gender instead of accepting God's design. You can go on Facebook, other platforms, social platforms, and you can pick who you are. I want to suggest to you, friends, it's a search for happiness that will end up in vain. The transgender movement is not based on science. It is political. Medical experts rightly call it gender confusion. Well, how many know everyone that's confused in life? I don't care if it's about gender, sexuality, or anything you're struggling with. How many know we care about people like that? We pity them. We want to help them, but we want to help them find a happiness and an acceptance of who God created me to be. In our culture today, we're hearing terms that years ago you thought unimaginable, but self-identifying as another race. If you went to Yahoo Answers, you could find this question, well-meaning question, when a person asked, can I self-identify as another race? The man that asked this question said, I was born a white man, but I've always felt like a black woman. Can I change my race to be who I was born to be? I suggest to you that's not a laughable moment, but it is the cry of someone looking for happiness. You say, what would you tell them, Pastor? Well, I would tell them this. I would say start with Genesis 1.27. When you look in the mirror, God created human beings in his image. The Bible says God created them male and female. And for 99 point something percent of the people, it is no question at our birth whether we are male or female, it is no question about the color of our skin. Uh, some, uh, you can do a DNA study and find out your makeup from the past and where your heritage came from. But you're uniquely created in the very image of God. Uh, if I could offer attention in this, dis- in this uh, discussion, God created us, but leave- we live in a world that's infected with the results of sin. Now listen, I, I-, I was born with a light skin color. I was born a male, but I, and, 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 and as I understand the Bible, God caused this. But listen, friends, God, I don't know, caused my bald spot. I don't know that God caused my propensity to anxiety, but sin brings things into the world, and God allows things. Are you with me today? And this is where it gets troubling. Listen, God is not the author. God doesn't create tornadoes that sweep across America. Are you with me now? God is not the one that destroys people's lives through hurricanes and tornadoes. God is not the one that causes infants to be born uh, stillborn. God allows things because of Adam's choice. When God told Adam in the Garden of Eden, on the day you eat this fruit, you will die. And if you look at what happened because of that, the death, the heartache, the pain, the struggles we have in life, being brought into the world less than perfect, as all of us are, we can look back to Adam's choice, and God didn't cause all the troubles. He allows them because of the choice of mankind, and he gives us another choice to choose Jesus Christ as our Savior, to one day live in a place, a real place called heaven, where all this junk is over. Come on now. And there is righteousness and purity and health. Let's go a step farther, and I want to show you a picture I used by permission. Three people that have been my friends for going on 28 years. Rick and Janie Bishop, parents. Abby's in her Down syndrome, probably 34 now. Doctors didn't think she'd live past her teenage years. Is she a mistake? No. 
There are nations in the world boasting now that their Down syndrome birth rate has dramatically dropped. The reason because is they are virtually forcing people to have an abortion who have Down syndrome. I'll suggest to you Abby's defect is not caused by God. It was allowed by God as a product of the fall, but there is still a purpose because I have never seen or known anyone in life that taught me more about genuine love than Abby and her family. I have learned more about true love and the value and dignity of human life, even if it's not perfect, from their lives. So somehow this comes together in our thinking. Self-improvement is a good thing. Anything I can do to be a better me, I want to do it. Are you with me today? Someone asked me years ago that I respected, and they said, they said, I don't think how they said it. Have you ever thought about doing something with your hair? I hit my bald spot, and I thought, well, no, I really hadn't. I guess if I had the money for a miracle, I might do something on the, uh, do something the other, but I don't, and it doesn't bother me. Now, I'd rather have a full head of hair. Are you with me today? But if my happiness is contingent on how many hairs are on my head, I am in trouble. Because as you age, things are going to fall out. Come on, other things are going to, you know, come out. And I mean, it's just, you just, stuff is just happening. And if your happiness is dependent on a perfect you, you'll never be happy. Self-improvement is good, but you'll never be happy until we accept ourselves the way God made us. Boundaries and limitations and all, without makeup, without a platform, shoes, and toupees. Uh, uh, listen, God created something in good. Improve on it if you can, but don't tie your happiness to it. Because Satan wants to shackle you with bondage like that girl on that video that we saw. Uh, I, I'm not good enough. Something is wrong with me. Therefore, I must become a toothpick to be happy. Listen, something is wrong with that. Come on now. Satan is a liar. God is the one that wants us to feel good about the man in the mirror. Come on, give him a good, a good hand today. Let me give you a couple more things that will help you with this idea of personal happiness. Second point, happy people receive God's forgiveness. Here's the spiritual principle we learn from the Bible I will not be happy until I get rid of my guilt and shame through God's forgiveness. If there's something that you and I share in common today as human beings is we've all done things we wish we wouldn't have done. Come on, both hands, both feet. We've all done things we're ashamed of, we, particularly as a Christian. Listen, if you, before you were a Christian, I saw this movie a couple of days ago. It was, it was a tale of a, a kid that grew up in the Bronx in New York, and uh, there was racial hatred. Some black kids rode down his street. He was an Italian, and his buddies came out with bats and bleeped these kids for no reason. And then they go to, uh, the, he went to the black neighborhood, and they throw bottles at him. They, nobody knew anyone. They were just raised that way. Well, how many know we can do things because of our raising, because of our lack of knowledge that are hideous and wrong? And when we become a Christian, we realize that what we've done is wrong. I carried a shameful secret for 20 years. I'd rather not talk about it even today. But as a Christian, 15 years being a pastor, a minister, a preacher, every time the subject would come up, I would drop my head in shame because I somehow thought what I had done was unforgivable. And I want to tell you, if you look at the man in the mirror through the mistakes of our past or our present, you'll never find true happiness. Listen to a story. 1 Timothy 1, Paul writes these words. Paul was one of, is one of my heroes in the Bible. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the known world. Here's what he said. 
He said, I thank Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has given me strength to do his work, even though. Even though, and I'll condense these verses, I persecuted his people. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst. And how many have actually felt like that? Yeah. 20% are honest, the rest lie, but I understand that. I'm used to going to church with liars on Sunday. <laughs> Just teasing. I'm the worst of all, but God had mercy on me. Now, I wonder if you would give me just a chance to speculate just a moment. We know Paul as the author of Scripture, but there was a day before he had his encounter with Christ, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. He would persecute Christian. In one account in particular, a deacon, his name was Stephen. Stephen gave a great Bible proclamation, uh, and they got so angry they stoned him to death. And Saul is right there. The next chapter, he becomes a Christian. And I'm going to speculate a moment if I can. I think it's reasonable. But Stephen was probably married, and he probably had children. He was, he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Paul started his ministry in Jerusalem. There was only one church. There was not a church everywhere. They probably went to church together. They went to temple together. Saul or Paul would probably go to the soccer game of their day, and he would look in the stands, as it were, and there was no daddy for Stephen's kids because he'd killed him. Now, how in the world can a person who was a murderer be forgiven for doing something so horrible? How do you go from murdering people to feeling good about yourself? Acknowledging your sin, but still being able to live with yourself. I'll tell you the secret, one of the most profound Bible verses in the Scripture. 1 John 1, 9. And I want you to say this with me. If we, and let's say it this way, if I. If I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us, me, my sins, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. How many, when you wash clothes, you sometimes have to use a stain remover? If you've got kids and those kids play in the grass, I mean, whatever it is that you use, shout, shout it out. I mean, you're spraying it. How many know if you've got something pretty and nice and you spill, you know, you're out at this high dollar event and you've got this beautiful white sweater, white blouse, and all of a sudden Thousand Island dressing adorns the front of your beautiful blouse and you feel like throwing it away. You feel like making it a dust rag, but you take it to an expert and what does the expert do? He takes the stain away and he makes it as if it's never been messed up. That is exactly what God can do for us when he forgives us. Psalm 103 says, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It is not the circle or circumference of the earth. It is a, a, a linear east in perpetuity from the west. It is unlimited, which is God's way of saying, there's nothing that you can do that I cannot forgive. I do not remember your sins. I do not hold them against you. I'm telling you, friends, this, this is a powerful component of feeling good about who I am. You can say, even though, and your even though is washed by the blood of Christ. Listen, you can do a lot with your past mistakes, but much of what we do will make the way we feel about ourselves worse. We can punish ourselves. I'll give you four things you can do. You can punish yourself for your past, and you can punish yourself for decades, and you can do it in many ways. It can be self-mutilation. It can be in some over-striving to work for God. 
in the Philippines on Easter celebrations. There's a Christian cult that practices self-crucifixion. Literally, people, literally nails driven in their hands. They don't die. They take them down, but they are somehow uh, addressing, acknowledging their sinfulness. Listen, there's a better way. You can punish yourself. You can wallow in shame, regret, and condemnation. I suggest this is Satan's great tool to shut some of us down. God has great things for us to do with our life, but we get shut down because the way we used to be. And we believe the things that we were. And Satan is there to harass us. My friend, if you want to know the difference between condemnation, which is of the devil, and conviction, which is of Christ, condemnation looks at the mirror and reminds us what a sorry dog we are. And condemnation wants us to hit ourselves, or cut ourselves, or somehow punish ourselves. Conviction by the Holy Spirit. Both deal with guilt, legitimate guilt. But conviction by the Holy Spirit points to the cross of Christ as a source of hope for God's washing and cleansing never to be brought up any longer. Come on. Literally, if you go to God after God has forgiven you and say, Lord, remember what I did on March 21st, whatever it was, 2012, the Lord says, what? I have no memory of that. I have removed your sins from you. It is what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. God makes us clean on the inside. The third thing you can do is repress it. You can bury it inside you. You can pretend it didn't happen, but the problem is, friend, the guilt will bubble out in all sorts of ways. You may find that you're just an angry person. You're mad. You hurt people. You push people away that love you. It could be that there's something unresolved in your heart and soul. That you've covered like a callus covers the tender skin. God can forgive it and wash it. The last thing we can do is accept or receive God's offer of forgiveness. And by faith, accept God's new start. Say, Pastor, how do you do that? I believe what you're saying, but how do I do it? Because I can't get out of my head what I did. I'll suggest it's something as simple as this. It is based on 1 John 1, 9. How many believe that's true? Well, how do you know it's true? There's a level of faith that you must act upon. You must believe is true to walk into it. If I confess my sins, put it back up there, please. He is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If you can imagine in your prayer time, you're taking what you did wrong. Whatever it is, whatever it is. A multiple divorce, you raped someone, uh, you stole from your mother, you stole her ring, you lied to her, you had an abortion, whatever, I mean, whatever it is, those things that just make us do that. You can imagine coming before God, that's a hard thing, number one. This is where we punish ourselves, we hide ourselves, we beat ourselves up over it, we pretend it's not there, we repress it. But the moment we turn to God and you say, Lord Jesus, I confess that what I did was wrong and I want to ask you to forgive me. And if symbolically it's like you throw it to God, invariably forgiveness is not equated with forgetting. It takes a while to forget. It takes a while for the sting of it to go. But when you release that thing to God by faith, you offer it to God, it's going to fall back in your hand. But here's the defining moment. Do I hold on to it tightly or do I keep my hand open and say, no, that doesn't belong to me. That belongs to God. And you will find every time you bring it to God, it's longer for it to come back down. It takes a while, and pretty soon you throw it up there, and it's gone. You say, how do you know that's true? Listen, I live it. I live it. Could we just take just a moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to bring us freedom? 
Lord, we want to just pause a moment. And if there's things that are brought up, I don't want to bring anything up that's been resolved and committed to the blood of Christ. But if there's anything that's still tormenting, anything the devil is using, shame and guilt, I want to pray that you would begin a healing process in our hearts right now. That not only we would receive forgiveness from God, but we would forgive ourselves. And that, Lord, we might forgive those that are around us that have sinned against us. And our hearts will be clean towards all men. In Jesus' name. Hey, let me give you one last one. Psalm chapter 1. The third thing, and I'll help you with this this morning. Happy people make the right choices. Here's a spiritual principle we derive from the Bible. The right choices will open the door to happiness. The wrong choices bring heartache and pain. So what do you mean, Pastor? Give me an example of that. Last night, I dare say, there were several thousand people roaming the streets of Texarkana looking for happiness. Some of them were looking for where they could pick up a bag of weed. Other was looking for, you know, somebody to hook up with. Uh, it was all going to be fun last night. Many were making the track to the beer store. It's much closer now since everything is wet. Wherever you go, and I don't speak in any way to condemn or look down because I used to live that way. I understand the path of happiness but I can guarantee of a certainty this morning, people woke up, the same ones that were looking for happiness last night, many woke up this morning with a horrible headache. And the first thing they wanted was Tylenol. And it didn't matter how many it sat on the bottle, they had to get rid of the headache. Others woke up this morning wondering, am I pregnant? What time does the pharmacy open so I can get the morning after pill? Others woke up wondering, do I have a sexually transmitted disease? See, this is on the other side of the wrong path. There are two paths in life. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, first of the Psalms, David's writings. David said, happy or blessed are those who, listen now, three things. Don't listen to the wicked. Don't go where sinners go. And don't do what evil people do. Now think of these words, the wicked sinners and evil people. These are not people dressed in black, come on now, acting like, you know, a cult member going to kill somebody as a part of a gang. These are normal people just like you and just like me. These are people who, whether they dress in a suit or a sharp pair of, of, uh, of blue jeans that they paid $100 for that have four holes in them and they fit just right. <laughs> These are normal people, but they're on the path of doing wrong things. I don't know how this happens, but I am often on Facebook, asked on my personal Facebook account to befriend women that don't have much on. I deleted one yesterday, and, and it was something about spectacular. She looked normal on the first part, and I wanted to figure out who she was, and I thought, I don't want to, she's not on my Facebook page. Are you with me? What was she saying? Nice person, I'm sure, probably educated, but she was saying, come down the path of the wicked. She was saying, make a choice, and she was promising me happiness, but I gave her the delete button. Are you with me today? <laughs> you, you have to choose how you're going to live. A wicked person would say, let's have an affair. Let's steal from the company. And the first $100 that you get out of the cash register is no big deal. You know, nobody catch you. Nobody said anything. You took the whole family out to Outback. It was great. But sooner or later, you're on the front page of the paper wearing orange. Are you with me? What's happened? You're listening to the wrong people. You're going where sinners go. You're doing what evil people do. How about this week, uh, kids? Someone says, uh, 
you get a text message in the middle of a test, your phone is all on silent, and it says, tell me the answer to number three. My dad's going to kill me if I lose my scholarship. Please tell me. Please, I'll do anything if you text me the composition of whatever it is, water. Don't do it. Verse 2, happy people love the Lord's teachings. And they think about those teachings. That doesn't mean that you're a religious square. It simply means that you found the path to happiness. Come on, is doing what God says and live in the way. You'll, listen, you'll find if you live God's way, you'll sleep better at night. I can tell you from experience, you'll, your conscience will be clean. It won't bother you. And you won't have to try to remember the lie that you told. And as I get older, I find I forget what I said. So if I'll just tell the truth, come on. Tell your neighbor he's preaching better than I thought he was going to this morning. <laughs> Let me close with this. How do I find this path to happiness? I'm not even going to talk about the wicked. Who wants to go there? Wicked people, according to this scripture. Well, listen, it says wicked people aren't like that. They're like chaff the wind blows away. They're a dry leaf. You crumple in your hands and throw it in the air and the wind blows away. Listen, people that do bad things find temporary happiness, but it will not last. It is just like drugs or alcohol. It'll get you up, but it will bring you down, and you'll have to go after it again. So how do I find the path to happiness? I'll close with this. Read God's Word and do what it says. We have an app you can download. I read two chapters every day, an old and new, or there's one in the back of your chair if you want it on paper. But listen to what the psalm says, Psalm 112. Happy is the man who fears the Lord taking great delight in his commandments. I'm telling you, friends, it's the path to happiness. God's way works every time we try. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Watch it. Stand to your feet this morning, and we're going to just take a moment to pray. Lord willing, we'll continue this next week and talk about a happy home. But let me just say I'm really glad you're here. This would have been a good morning to sleep in. It would have been. I thought about it. The window was open. I had my comforter back on my bed. My wife said, you got to go. You're the preacher. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But really, you could lay at home and watch the app. And We, we have, uh, last week, someone told me we had, uh, in one service, 350 people watch our live stream. It's a great experience. Amen. If you're watching today, we're really glad you're here. When I'm not in church, that's what I do. You know, if I take a weekend off or if I travel or if I'm sick, but it's just not as good. Amen. You know, I enjoy my, my time I have with God every day, but there's something special when I get to worship with you. It's something special when we get to come with our great worship team and, and just be in the presence of the Lord. But I just wonder if we could give just a moment before we break out and finish the go to the afternoon and just let God maybe speak to us or do something in us. You know, we talked about some very personal things today because every one of us look at the man in the mirror every day. We look at him, we look at her, and unconsciously we're trying to be happy about life. Everybody's trying to find it. Could we just pray just a minute? And I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit's presence would just come and fill this room and would help each one of us fall in love with the person God created God, I want you to ask you to help me to see beyond my blemishes, see beyond my bald spots, see beyond what I don't have and what others do. 
And could I just come to grow and appreciate the person God's created me to be? Lord, would you help all of us today this thing about forgiveness? It just lingers in the back of our hearts, the back of our mind. But today we just dare to believe what God says. God can cleanse us from all the bad. The Bible says, though our sins be as scarlet, bright red, God makes them as white as snow. Just slip your hands to heaven if this is what you need today. God, I need to know that you have forgiven me. By faith, I receive your forgiveness right now. That's right. Anything that Satan condemns you with, just slip your hands to heaven as a way of offering it to your Father. And say, Lord, I want to forgive myself too. And like that water bottle, I'm going to continue by faith. As I've confessed it once, I'm never going to hold on to it again. Let the Holy Spirit bring me forgiveness. And God, I want to pray for every one of us, whether it's through a Facebook invitation or somewhere else, but when we're called to walk down the wrong pathway, let us say no. Let us love your ways and pursue them with all our heart. In Jesus' name. Hey, I want to close with this. We're going to do one last song. And if you don't just have to run out, let me encourage you, just hang on, be just a moment. Because this is an opportunity for people to respond to God in the place of prayer. We don't want to do anything to distract them. We're going to make an opportunity. Uh, 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 they're going to sing that song. And as the song is being sung, we're going to have our prayer team to come up front. Because, you know, when we, open, when we talk about the Bible, it's like digging around in the garden. And maybe the Holy Spirit has been digging around at something in your life someone that you care deeply about, and, and, and the proper response is to, to pray about it. We all need prayer. Listen, this weekend, uh, I've come to the altar for prayer three times in all three services. But if you want someone to pray for you, be delighted to pray. The most important prayer we'd like to pray, though, is bigger than happiness. It's bigger than forgiveness. It's bigger than personal struggles. It's about a personal relationship with God. I, I was raised in church. I'm grateful for it, but it didn't work. It's not the church's fault. It just didn't take. I've read my Bible throughout my life when I was in trouble, when I was growing up, particularly in my late teenage years. And if I got in a bind, I'd call out to God. It's like my life stopped. I turned to God and say, please help me. That cross is a picture, an image. And I said, God, please help me. And when he did, I'd just turn and keep going my way. But something happened. It was brought to a head on August 15, 1976. And if I could stand like this, looking at the life I was living and the life God was offering me, and I realized at that moment, it was a special moment, that it wasn't just some intellectual argument for Christianity, but I was at a place in my life where I was really searching for God. I was at a place in my life where I realized the emptiness, my search for happiness was not working. And it was like the Bible, the words of God had become real for the first time. And I'm standing at this place, not knowing if I wanted to go my way or God's way. And a Gideon came to me at that vulnerable moment, gave me a Bible, and said, Jesus would change my life if I would do this one thing, if I would simply turn my heart to God and ask Him to forgive me what I'd done wrong and to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. And he said, if you would invite Christ in your life and begin to deliberately follow Him, to read the Bible, to begin to seek God's ways, He, he promised me life would get better. And can I tell you, friend, it has. And that same thing can happen. If you feel right now that I'm talking directly to you, that's the Holy Spirit using my voice to tell you God loves you, He cares for you, but He wants you to surrender your life to follow Him. 
In just a moment, as people come forward to prayer, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to commit your life to Christ. Maybe it's the first time or maybe you've gotten away from God. don't know how it happened, but you just kind of ended up there. And you really feel today, I want to get back on track with God. I want to commit my life to Christ. We're going to invite you to take a bold step and slip out of your chair and come over to the cross. I promise you no one will embarrass you. If they see you, they'll clap for you. But here's why it's so necessary. You have to, if you don't, if you don't make a step away from your old life towards your new, nothing will ever happen. See, it's not just enough to say, I believe. I must live the life of a believer. It is an opportunity to walk away from the past and to walk towards the living Christ of the cross. So why don't you go ahead and begin to sing right now, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They'll pray about anything. But if you want to make the biggest decision of your life and entrust Christ as your Savior, we'll see you at the cross. I love you, and thanks for coming. Lord willing, we'll do it again next week.